series called New Life. And today I wanted to continue the conversation with a topic I believe is absolutely central and at the heart of what a new life with Jesus looks like. And it's the topic of giving. I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, you cannot preach the message of Jesus without talking about giving. For, for instance, for God so loved the world that he gave, it's better to give than receive. That was Jesus, not Santa, okay? Contrary to popular belief. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes from you, do not demand it back, but do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Again, Jesus, not just your kindergarten teacher, right? God bless her, wherever she is. But think of it. We as pastors, we couldn't help strengthen your relationships, strengthen your friendships with with your friends, with your girlfriends, with your spouses without preaching on giving. Because as you already know, every good relationship requires giving more than you get. And all the boyfriends and spouses in the room said, amen. That was a trap. You shouldn't have said that one, okay? Sorry. That wasn't even fair. (laughs) But here's the truth. We couldn't, we couldn't help you grow in your walk with Jesus without preaching giving either because Jesus said it like this. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you let your life go, okay, if you give it away, you'll save it. And that's because this whole principle of giving is at the heart of the Christian faith. And if you were to dive into history for just a moment, The movement to create hospitals for victims of wars and natural disasters, they were started by Christians who wanted to give selflessly and generously. Some of the earliest humanitarian efforts in the UK and in the US, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, Children's Homes, Habitat for Humanity, were all started by Christians who were moved to give because God had given to them first. And historically, Christians have always gone places that no one else would go to remote tribes and people groups, to people suffering from plagues and disease because they believed that they had something to give that the world needed. But here's the hang up. For many of us, when we hear a preacher talk about giving, we begin to wince. Many of us, we even get irritated. We figure, you know, if I just leave right now, they'll just think I'm going to the bathroom. It's no big deal. And I think there's several reasons for this. Some of you, you've been part of a church that mishandled your finances. They told you that the money was going to orphans. They told you that the money was going to keep the lights on for widows. But you found out that the only people being blessed were the people running the church. For others of you, you're jaded because you've seen the way that the church has manipulated the people that you love. Through guilt, through arm twisting, you've seen some very ugly things in the name of Jesus. And it's nauseating. Friends, and if if that's you, let me just apologize on behalf of the church. I don't, I don't have a good explanation for what those preachers did. I just know that it was wrong, and I just know that it hurt you, and I'm sorry. And I'm sorry for the people that you love that got hurt. And yet, for some of us, the issue goes even deeper. 
in our heart of hearts, down below everything else, we don't just see God's people as manipulative, but we see God as taker. Maybe you lost something that really mattered to you. It was a position you were working hard for. It was a job you really wanted, or it was something that was just stolen from you. Maybe you lost someone that you loved deeply. Maybe it was a best friend. For others, it may have been a fiance or a spouse, a parent, maybe even a child. And if you were to be completely honest, if you were to just dig down deep, you would have to confess that you have trouble trusting God because ultimately you think that he's here to take away from you. And you hate that old phrase, he gives and takes away, because to you, you believe and you felt that he's taken more from you than he could ever give to you. And listen, that is a hard, hard place to be. Where everything that's ever happened in your life up to this moment seems to point in the same direction that God is not for you, but that God is against you. And it makes sense why for you, when someone talks about giving, you can't help but cringe. You can't help but harden your heart a little more to think that God would ask one more thing of you when he's taken so much. But let me, let me appeal to you for just a moment, if that's you, that maybe, just, just maybe, that's not who God is at all. Now, I can't, I can't vouch for that church. I can't vouch for that preacher. But just for a second, let me tell you about who God is. The God that we serve. Psalm 68.5 says he is the father to the fatherless. That he's the defender of orphans and widows. Psalm 3.3 says he wants to be the lifter of your head when you feel so overwhelmed with pressure and shame. Psalm 139.17 says he's thinking about you constantly. So much so, Psalm 56.8, that he keeps track of all your sorrows. That he collects your tears in his bottle and he's recorded each one in his book. And I know if we were to be honest, it may take a huge leap for you to go from where you are to truly believing he is who he says he is. But if you could just remove your lenses of cynicism for just a moment and open your heart up to the possibility that God may just be better than you thought he was. Then I believe God can and God will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And that he can remove the heart of stone from your flesh and he can give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26. And that God can do, like Romans 12, 2 says, transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And that's our hope. That's our hope for everyone, that our perspective would begin to tilt, that our worldview would begin to shift, and that we would go from seeing God as taker to seeing God as giver. And if you go back to the story of creation... Here you see that God richly gave Adam of every fruit and every tree, just minus a couple. That God gave Adam dominion over all the animals and all the land. God richly gave Adam Eve. And if that wasn't enough, God richly gave Adam himself. 
Adam could walk and talk with God anytime he wanted to. But to Adam, that wasn't enough. He wanted more than he believed that God could offer him. And it's kind of the same story for us today. God has given us good gift after good gift. James 1, 17, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God the Father. Every good thing that you believe you've earned and worked for, it's really a gift from an extremely generous God. Every good thing you think you own, it's really just on loan. And I love this quote from author and theologian C.S. Lewis. It says, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. And if you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in some sense his own already. In other words, your talents, your skills, your abilities, your intellect, your strength, your athleticism, all of it, it's a gift from God. Your friends, your family, your crush, your boo, your meals, your home, all of it, it's a gift from God. And most of all, of all the good gifts that he could ever give, the best gift he could ever give was himself. And you know the story. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins so that we would no longer have to suffer the crushing guilt and the punishment for our mistakes and our sin. And instead, God would pour out the punishment on his very own son so that we could be free and we could be free indeed. Yet for many of us, this isn't enough. And we, just like Adam, we want more than we believe God could ever offer us. And so we crave what we think will satisfy us. But it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. In the words of C.S. Lewis, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, while infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine What is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, our perspective is so incomplete and it's so short-sighted. And I think it really comes down to this idea that deep down in our core, we believe God wants more from us than God wants for us. But you have to consider this, that maybe, maybe, just maybe God's way really is better than your way. Maybe, just maybe, you are more fully satisfied when he is most fully glorified in your life. Maybe, just maybe, making great is more than a tagline. Maybe it's the rest of the story. And I truly believe that if you were to see as God sees, you would do as God says. Every time. When it comes to your relationships when it comes to your career path, when it comes to how you treat those you can't stand, you know, the kind that grate on your last nerve, when it comes to how you invest your time, when it comes to how you spend your money, that if you were to see as God sees, you would do as God says every time. So please forgive me. I'm going to get a little cheeky here for a second. And I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question. And here it is. When it comes to giving... 
do you really think that God needs your money? I mean, really? Is the light bill just too expensive in heaven? Is he running out of gold to pave his streets with? Is he running out of cattle for his thousand hills? Friends, hear my heart when I say this. Giving was not created for God's sake. It was created for your sake. And here's why. Because giving more than any other activity that a believer does works selfishness and greed out of our lives. Think about it like this. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because your treasure is always the leader. Your heart is always the follower. Your heart follows your treasure. Your treasure can never be divorced from your heart because whatever you value the most, whatever's the most important to you, it's what gets your time, it's what gets your attention, and Jesus said it's what gets your heart. Friends, that means if we're not careful, our heart can and will chase after things that are good, but things that are not God. And we call these things idols. These are the things we cannot live without, that we wouldn't want to live without. For some of us, our idols are our careers. We've worked hard to get where we are, and there's nothing we would do to jeopardize that. Doesn't matter who it hurts. Doesn't matter who we step on. It doesn't matter who we don't have time for. The status, the significance, the respect. For some of us, our idols is... That boy or that girl, you know the one that when she smiles, the whole world stops and stares for a while. (laughs) Come on, you come on. That one that I guess you'd say, what can make me feel this way? Because baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. There ain't no, come on somebody, there ain't no valley low enough. Where my people at, ain't no river wide enough. To keep me from getting at you, babe. Someone turn to someone next to you and say, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you right now. <laughs> some, some girl got really scared just now. <laughs> and for some of us, our idols are our children. They are the most important thing in our lives. And every time without fail, we will sacrifice our spouses on the altar of making our children happy. We will choose placating our children's moods over going to church. If they would rather do their homework, if they would rather go to a movie or practice and spend time with Jesus, we give in to that because they are our world, not him. And for most of us, if we were to be 100%, our idols are ourselves. Because we were all born selfish. It's true. Listen, you don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. You don't have to teach a a toddler to hoard their toys. You know it. They're savages. They're like Lord of the Flies meets the Kardashians meets Breaking Bad. You just add a little sugar, I promise. You'll see it unfold. And it's instinctive. It's fight or flight. You want to play with my Queen Elsa of Arendelle? With my purple cape and my white gloves? I don't think so. How about we play your face, my fist, right? Next thing you know, Anna's braids are getting pulled out of her wig. No, not your kids, just mine. Okay, just just checking. 
But here's what you already know. The first thing that every older brother, every parent, every babysitter is trying to teach the little kids in their world is how to share. Why? Because friends, we were all born selfish, but we were born again generous. Don't miss this. This is huge. We were all born selfish, but when we gave our lives to Jesus, something happened. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And one of the characteristics of this new life, one of the evidence of this new life, some of the proof that you've been changed is that you used to be stingy, that you used to be greedy, you used to be selfish and self-centered, but more and more you find yourself giving away things that you would have never given away. You find yourself investing in, in things and spending your time in things you never would have. And somehow the things of this world grow strangely dim because of what he's done for you. I mean, you were dead and now you're alive. You were lost and now you're found. You were broken but now you're whole and you're made new and you just can't help but be filled with gratitude. And sometimes it looks like you volunteering with kids or with teenagers when you never would have believed in your wildest dreams. You never ever would have wanted to do anything remotely like reliving your middle school or high school years. But here you are every week with Pastor Jonathan or Pastor Tito. Sometimes it looks like you tipping the waitress more than you ever would have before. Sometimes it looks like you giving in the offering and you start to feel this strange foreign sensation spread across your face like some kind of rash. And you're like, what is this strange feeling? Oh my goodness, I'm smiling, right? I'm smiling. <laughs> and let me say this. Listen, not to shame you, not to make you angry, but sincerely, a big part of growing up in your faith is you learning to become more like your heavenly father in this area. Let me say it again. A big part of your spiritual maturity is you learning to share even your money, especially your money. Because Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, something happens when we make this shift from seeing God as taker to seeing God as giver. 2 Corinthians 9.10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Now, this is so cool to think about. God provides the seed, and then from the seed, God provides the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Think of it like this. God gives you, the farmer, the seed. Then when you use the seed the way God asks you to, God then gives you a harvest as a reward for your giving the seed that he gave you in the first place the way he asked you to give it. Because God is on both sides of our giving. And it's kind of trippy. It's kind of crazy. But when you realize that you can never, ever outgive God, when you really truly recognize all that God has done for you, the depths of what he's forgiven you for, the weight he's stripped off of your shoulders, the burdens you no longer have to carry, the wounds you no longer have to let fester, it changes everything. You don't give to get. 
No longer. Because you, you don't give to get blessings. You're not giving to avoid punishment. You're not giving to escape, escape guilt. You're not giving to get rich. You're not giving to somehow make God owe you one. Or to somehow erase your mistakes. You're giving because you want to. You're giving because somehow what used to be yours, your mind and your thoughts, your body, all of it, you now realize that you're not your own, but you're bought with a price. Therefore, you are choosing to honor God with your body and all the cool stuff that you used to own, it no longer owns you. What was your treasure isn't your treasure anymore. It's like in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, if you want to turn there with us. Verse 36 says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Now, let me just explain for a moment. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were kind of the pastors, the preachers, the religious elite, the interpreters of Jewish law. And then it says, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life walked in. Now, I think you can draw your own conclusions as to her profession. It said a woman with a sinful life. But just imagine for a moment how out of place this woman was. She didn't belong there as far as the religious people concerned. And she also knew she wasn't welcome there as far as the religious people were concerned. But something about Jesus drew her. It says she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. I just want you to notice this. This woman, this this sinner who had lived, it says, lived a sinful life. Her response to Jesus was weeping, crying, humility, brokenness. But it was also generosity. It was giving a year's worth of wages. It was giving, listen, the only symbol of her identity that was at all pure. It was the only good thing she had, this alabaster jar of perfume, because everything else about her was tainted and scarred and dirty. But this alabaster jar of perfume was the only pure thing in her life, and it was worth more than anything she owned. And she chose to pour it out all over Jesus' feet. But friends, you have to notice, in contrast, the religious person's response. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. You see, the religious guy, his response was pride, it was doubt, it was disbelief. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Then Jesus goes into storytelling mode in typical Jesus fashion. 
verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Let's just say that was $1,810 in U.S. money. I wikipedia it, okay? So you know that's legit. And the other 50, let's say that was 181 U.S. dollars. So over almost $2,000, almost $200. Neither of them, verse 42, had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one do you think will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came in your house and you didn't give me any water to wash my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Listen to that. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And I think here's where we find ourselves. We think we've been forgiven little, and we rationalize, I've never robbed a bank, I've never shot anybody, I don't even text and drive. The last time I had alcohol was back when I was a Catholic, right? And it was when I was taking communion, okay? So you can blame the priest, it wasn't even me. But we forget, we forget that just one, just one of our sins was enough to drive Jesus to the cross, We tend to compare our shortcomings to other people to make ourselves feel better. And we forget that we are not called to comparison. We are called to holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And friends, don't miss this part of the story. This woman was not forgiven for giving. She was not forgiven by God because she gave. That was just evidence that she was forgiven. Listen. We cannot try hard enough to get holy on our own. We can't buy holy. We can't purchase holiness. She couldn't pour enough oil on Jesus to earn forgiveness. She couldn't shed enough tears to make Jesus erase her guilt, but he did it anyway. Just because he really is that good, just because he is better than you thought he was, And when you remember just how much you've been forgiving of, how much every inappropriate thought, every hurtful word, every shame, every regret, every time you said something you wish you hadn't, every time you wish you could have taken what you said back, every time you should have, but you didn't, you wanted to, but you were afraid, you realize that you are the one who's been forgiven much. And it makes you rethink everything about everything. And as a result, listen, giving isn't an act of guilt. It's a response of gratitude. Tithing isn't an obligation. It's just one more way that we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in closing, if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And here's what I'd love for you to do for just a moment. 
if you would just take a second and meditate on these words. In your own heart, if you would just read over them, not out loud, just in your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, you'll see it back here on the screen. you to just imagine just for a moment if every single one of us if every follower of Jesus living everywhere in the world were to live this scripture out wholeheartedly without reservation without question but if each one of us were to decide were to decide in our heart how much to give and not give reluctantly or in response to pressure In other words, not out of guilt, not out of manipulation, not because we feel bad or because we should or because people are watching or because their eyes just look so sad in that video. But instead, we give cheerfully what we've prayed about between us and God, what we've already decided in our heart to give, that God's already spoken to us about. Why? Because God has given us way more than he could ever ask from us. Because if we could really see as God sees, we would do as God says every time. Because he's better than we thought he was. What would happen? I mean, what would happen if every Christian in San Antonio, in the U.S., in North America, in the world... If every one of us would do and trust, as Paul said, that God will generously provide all you need and you'll have plenty left over to share with others. Think of it. There are, single moms wouldn't have to worry anymore because God's people are so generous. The orphans, who could, who, they could finally find loving homes with the 2.18 billion Christians living around the globe who are choosing to live like Jesus through their actions and through their giving. Friends, our God can and our God will use your generosity to change the world. And as our pastor says it like this, when we give to those who can't pay us back, God will always foot the bill. He will always foot the bill. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we love you. God, we thank you that you've given us so much more than you would ever ask. God, I pray for those in this place, God, who've been wounded by a past church experience. God, by those who've seen corruption and greed and pride and all these things that have no no room in your temple, God, but they've seen it up close and firsthand. God, bring healing. Bring healing. Father, for those who feel like you've taken from them and they have beef with you, God, I pray, God, that that right now you would remind them of how good you are and how much you love them and how much they matter to you and that their story isn't over yet. 
God, that you would just begin to administer healing, God, to every person who has a wound on the inside that they've, that they've inappropriately assigned to you, Father, that you would heal them and remind them that you are better than they thought. And Father, I pray that every one of us would begin to grow up in our faith and that we would be generous just like you are. Thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Friends, we love you. We're so grateful that you chose to share your night with us and we can't wait to see you this weekend. And if you're a young adult, we cannot wait to see you at Connect Night in just a few moments.